Thank you for coming to church today. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 16. And if you're a regular attender at Harvest, did I just say Harvest? Oh my goodness, I am so totally out of joint. The previous name of the church was Harvest Bible Chapel. And as Wes just said, uh, we changed the name about three years ago to Gospel City Church. Welcome to Gospel City Church. If you are a regular attender at Gospel City Church, this message may seem a little different. That's because we're starting a six-week series that is a topical series. Normally, I tell you to open to a verse of the Bible, and that verse was just simply the next verse after the verse that I preached the previous Sunday, and we just plow right through books of the Bible. For the next six weeks, we're not going to do that. I'm going to ask you to open your Bible to a lot of different places, and we're going to look at uh, verses. We're going to chase down verses in the Bible on one particular topic, and the topic is church. That's the topic. We've entitled this series Welcome Home because this is our church home. We, we want this to feel like family. We are family, and uh, we want to act like family. So we're going to be learning how to do that. As a matter of fact, I just want everybody to relax right now. I just want you to pretend you're not in a church building. Some of you are new, and so welcome to uh, our family. Let's just turn this into a family room, and let's just have a family chat here for the next few minutes. You know, sometimes in the family, as the father, I have to call all the family members together and, and, you know, stop doing whatever else you're doing. We need to sit in the same room. We need to look each other in the eye. We need to define some terms. We need to get our schedules together so that we can move forward as a family, as one. That's what this series is all about. And a matter of fact, tonight, I want you to come back at six o'clock because everything that I'm going to talk to you about this morning, we're going to talk to God about tonight. We're going to pray over the things that we're going to talk about here right now. And so everybody just relax. It's going to be a wonderful time of just having a little family chat. Now, let me tell you the reason we're trying to do this, because um, have you noticed that things have changed in the last 18 months or so? You have changed. I've changed. Perspective on church has changed. And so let me just ask you to do something here for next one. Just relax, okay? Do you remember church the way it used to be? Do you remember pre-pandemic church? I can remember pre-pandemic church. The year was 2019. Our church was growing so much so that we had started a building campaign. We believed that God had made us for more. And so we ask you to sacrifice and give and invest in this place. And I mean, things were going wonderfully. Up until that point, we had already planted um, six different churches. We were in the middle of planting two more, uh, Redemption City Church in downtown South Bend. And uh, uh, Gospel Community Church over in Elkhart County. And, and we'd grown to about 2,000 people and we were having four services and we were squeezing in over in that room that we now call our lobby. And um, we, we rolled out a brand new discipleship pathway because we wanted to make sure you understood that coming to church on Sunday morning is not enough. We needed to get you into smaller groups where discipleship happens best. And so we, we came up with these four words. Um, the four words were glorify. That's what it's all about. It's all about focusing our attention on the Lord. But under that banner, as a church, we're going to commit together 
grow and go. So glorify, gather, grow, go. We rolled that out and then the elders of the church told you they're sending me away on sabbatical. Pastor Trent looks tired and he's been doing this for about 12 years and so we're going to send him away on sabbatical for about three months. The first three months of 20. 20. So my final service here before sabbatical was the Christmas service. We had like 2,200 people cram in here. It was a wonderful service. And Andrea and I and our family went down to Florida for three months of sabbatical. January, February, March. Do you remember what happened in March of 2020? Specifically, March 11th of 2020. The reason I know that is that's my wife's birthday on her 50th birthday, the World Health Organization declared the world was coming to an end. Uh, we were in a global pandemic and the NBA canceled the first basketball game and then they canceled everything else. Andrea and I had our bags packed that weekend. We were supposed to go out to Washington, D.C. to lead a family life weekend to remember marriage conference. And about five minutes before we stepped out of the door, the phone rang and they had canceled the conference and then everything else began to cancel. The elders of the church called and said, Trent, we've canceled church. I'm like, wait a minute. This is the pastor's worst nightmare. You send him away on a three-month sabbatical, and then before he comes back, charged up, ready to go, refreshed, to pastor the church and open the new worship center that we have been sacrificing to build, you've canceled church. This, like, pastor's worst nightmare, right? So I came back, my first weekend back was Easter Sunday, except we couldn't have church on Easter Sunday. And so we had to learn how to do virtual church. And so the Lord had provided not only the building, but the equipment to actually do things online. And so we're connecting with you online. How many of you connected online during the 15 weeks we were shut down? So after 15 weeks, we opened it back up on July the 5th, and I'm thinking the grand opening of this church, we're gonna be like 5,000 people here all excited to celebrate Jesus. And there were a few people that kind of trickled back in. And we were afraid to make eye contact with one another because we were afraid we might catch something if we made eye contact, you know? And, and so we were told it was all about our physical health. And so slowly people have started to come back over the course of the last 18 months. And some of you have come back. I haven't seen some of you for 18 months. Welcome back to church. We're so glad you're here. Some of you found us while we were online and you're like, man, I wanna go see this church live and in person. And so you've come. Now that you're here, and now that you feel a little safer in coming back, I feel like we're church planting all over again. We've got this brand new church. Some of you don't know each other. Some of you don't know what the core convictions of our church are. And so for the next six weeks, do you know what we're gonna do? I'm not going to ask you just to remember church. I'm going to ask you as a church to re- Member, get it? See what it did there? We are going to remember this church. We are going to elevate the privilege and responsibility of every member of Gospel City Church. Some of you say, I'm not a member. Next Sunday night at five o'clock, we can change your status from guest 
to member. Come in off the front yard, come in closer from the front porch, get into the family room and become a member. And for those of you that have been members for a long time, we're gonna ask you to renew your covenant membership at the end of this series. This series will end on August 29th. If you've been paying attention, you've been hearing that the whole day on Sunday, August 29th, is gonna be a time for the church to gather. We're gonna have a carnival atmosphere outside all day, and we're gonna do baptisms outside in the afternoon. But in the morning service, it's gonna be a membership covenant renewal ceremony. How many of you are married? Raise your hand if you're married. Okay. Do you remember the day you were married? You made, you exchanged some vows. Do you remember these vows? Since the time that you first exchanged vows, how many of you have ever renewed your vows? Raise your hand if you've had a vow renewal. Every time Andrea and I go out to lead a Family Life Weekend to Remember Marriage Conference, we end that three-day weekend with hundreds of people standing up, facing one another, holding hands, eyeball to eyeball. We ask them to renew their vows. That's what I'm going to ask you as a member of Gospel City Church to do on August the 29th. And so, in order to do that, we need to know what we are committing ourselves to. What is this covenant relationship with the church actually like? So those are the questions that I'm going to attempt to answer. Uh, on Friday of last week, um, I uh, went in, uh, I, was, I was invited, Andrew and I were invited to come and do a radio interview for Revive Our Hearts, uh, Nancy DeMoss Walgamuth's program that you may know about. And so Andrew and I went in and they asked us, um, to, to help their listeners, this radio audience that they know they have this millions of people listening, but they're committed to the local church and they wanted us to tell their listeners why they needed to get back to church. And they had no idea that I was actually planning this series. So for hours I went on and let the radio audience why they needed to remember their commitment to their local church because people have changed. Let me tell you five things that have changed, maybe not have changed, but have been accelerated during this season. Number one, people have been pruned. Not like, a, not like the fruit, right? I'm talking about the gardening exercise of cutting something back. Um, if you've been around through this year as a member of Gospel City Church, you ought to know what our year-long theme has been. In September of every year, we announce we're going into a new ministry season, and for a year, we give you a theme. On the count of three, I want everybody that remembers what the theme is for this year to tell me what the one-word theme is. Three, two, one. What's the theme? Abide. And we took that word from John chapter 15, where Jesus is about to be crucified, and he looks his disciples in the eye, and he says, I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So Jesus is using the metaphor of a vine. He's the vine. That's where the life is. The father's the vine dresser who's got some shears and he prunes every branch that doesn't bear fruit. Now remember, we learned in this analogy, Jesus is the vine. The fruit is the spiritual life. What are we? You're a stick. 
That's what you are. You're a stick. There's no value. There's no life in the stick. It's just the stick only has value as it's connected to the vine and has fruit on the other end. So we're the very humble stick. As long as we stay connected, as long as we abide in the vine, we're going to bear fruit. If you are not bearing fruit, it's an indication you're not connected to the vine and the Father has a way of coming along and taking out, trimming, cutting off branches that are not truly connected to the vine. That's what's happened in the last 18 months. When uh, the church was going into 2020, we had 2,000 people. Last week we had 1,300. And so where are the other 700? Now, in the process, we've planted two churches, so we sent away some of our best branches, and they're now bearing fruit in other locations. And there are people that have not come back because it got harder to go to church. It required greater sacrifice. There was even a greater risk involved. You had to actually risk your health, physical health, in order to enhance your spiritual health. So there was new, there's new risk. That's always been true. It's always been risky to come to church. It's always been risky to get out of bed in the morning too. Uh, but if you're going to do anything, it requires a little bit of risk, right? And we have no assurances. You get hit by a bus walking down the hallway nowadays. There's just all kinds of risk involved, right? So it's risky to come to church. And when the cost is higher, those that are not bearing fruit or interested in bearing fruit, the Father has a way of like, okay, we're going to prune. The church is going to be fewer, but it's going to be truer. It's going to have truer branches and truer fruit. But notice, even those that are bearing fruit, the guarantee is that every branch, even the ones that are bearing fruit, they get pruned. And so for us, this has been a season of pruning. Freedoms have been taken away. Um, conveniences have been taken away. There's a greater effort, a greater cost, there's a greater energy involved in actually being a member of a church that's bearing fruit. So, number one, people are being pruned. Number two, people are paranoid. All of these start with P, by the way, in good preacher fashion. So, people are being pruned. People are paranoid. You know what's going to happen if you pay attention to what's going on out there? It's going to scare you to death. Every news report, every educational institution, every politician is going to tell you, you should be afraid because there are things out there that are risks to your physical health. The question is, is there anybody going to warn you and tell you that there are some things that should scare you about your spiritual health? And if we don't prioritize our spiritual health even above our physical health, do you know what's gonna happen? We're going to make our physical health an idol, a replacement for God. And when fear grips your heart, safety will become your idol. You'll bow down to it. You'll make sacrifices to it. You'll even sacrifice your, your spiritual health for your physical health. Both are important. And I want to emphasize that. You should pay attention to your physical health. Some of you look sick. I mean, y'all need to take some vitamins. Y'all need to get in the gym or something. You need to lose some weight. I mean, that's always a challenge for me. There's always a challenge. But listen, at the end of the day, if you live a physically healthy life, guess what? You're still gonna die. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're gonna die. You're gonna die. You just need to know that. You're gonna die of something. It may not be COVID, but if COVID doesn't get you, something else comes for you, all right? That's the reality. So the question is, when your physical health is gone, is there gonna be any spiritual health 
that's going to protect you in the life to come. Nobody on the news is going to tell you that. The politicians are going to tell you that. The secular education that you got is not going to tell you that. It's the church that's going to tell you that. And so if you don't prioritize your spiritual health, you're going to live in this world paranoid from anything that could threaten your physical health. Not only are people paranoid and pruned, people are polarized. You say, no, we're not. See? That's it. Every pastor I know is watching this polarization take place in his church around non-essential issues. And it's because we have been infiltrated and filled our ears with whatever the latest political view is, whatever the latest theory is on social constructs, and that is filling our ears with hours and hours of information, and it is drowning out the voice of God's word in our lives. And so we've got to be careful that as a church, we do not become polarized like the rest of society. The church is the one place where people who have very different views drop all of those views and come under the authority of our head, Jesus Christ. Oh, praise the name of the one who is supreme above all of those things. People are polarized. We live in a polarized political system and we've gotta make sure that we don't bring that into the body of Christ. Our American political system is a binary choice. Two-party system, and it seems like everybody aligns around that pole and that pole, and you have to make a choice which side are you on. Do you know what the gospel does? The gospel calls both sides to repent and believe the gospel. It's the king of kings that presides over all of the other political opinions. People are polarized, and people are products of the culture. Uh, This week, I stopped at a convenience store. Why? Because I was thirsty and I wanted a big gulp. And I go to the machine and I have a variety of choices. And I filled it up with the exact number of ice cubes that I wanted because don't you hate it when you go through the drive-thru and they fill up the cup full of ice and you get like three ounces of the fluid that you actually paid for and you have to go back. So I'm like, I always tell them, no ice or just let me do it myself, right? Because I get get exactly what I want. I get the exact flavor. I get the exact, and then I go up there and and not only, the the reason I went to this convenience store rather than that convenience store is because I get rewards at this convenience store. There, and I've got a, I've got a relationship going on with this convenience store over here. They make it more convenient than the other convenience store over here, right? And that's why I go to this one and not that one. We've been programmed to think that way about church. Our church is not for everybody. But if you come in and elevate your preference over whatever it is that you think you need in a church, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna have trouble. You're going you're to have trouble. So we need to make sure that we don't bring like our preferences in. If, if you think you can gather at a church and have it just the way you want it, there's going to be you're only going to be at one particular church for a time. And listen, if you are already on your third or fourth or fifth church in this community, you might want to look for the common denominator. 
it may not be the church that's the problem. It may be the fact that you've elevated your preference above the things that take priority in the church. People are particular. That's the fifth one. Are you following along? Pruned, polarized, paranoid. What did I say? It was really good. Products of the culture. And then people are particular. They want it their way. Um, I was talking to a lady in the community. She just moved to the community. And uh, I said, where do you go to church? She said, I went to your church once. And so I didn't come back. I said, why not? She said, it's too big. I'm like, well, it didn't used to be big. We started with 13 people and people like you kept coming. And when you came, you made it bigger. You, you get that? So the solution for that, the only solution I know of is to hang like a no vacancy sign out in the parking lot. Like we're big enough. We don't want or need you. We like us. I don't think that's the right strategy. So I don't know, we, we, we've never, I tell, tell people all the time, we've never spent a single second in any leadership meeting that I've ever been in in 13 years in this church with the, where the, the topic of the, the meeting was how do we get more people to come? I've been in thousands of hours, it seems like, in meetings like, what do we do when they get here? Like, how do we get them to think about being a smaller church in smaller groups beyond Sunday morning? so that we can more effectively mature them in Christ. And leadership around here can tell you, we talk about that all the time. I got an email, somebody, one of our pastors got an email from somebody uh, who recently joined or, or uh, visited our church. I'll read it to you. Uh, this lady said, uh, I met a woman in your church by the name of Tammy. She asked me where I attended church. By the way, Tammy will be teaching courses later in the week on how to do what she's doing. And by the way, great conversation starter. My name is Tammy. Where do you go to church? That's a, that's a great uh, way to build a, a friendship there and a great relationship. So she says, she asked me where I went to church and I told her that my husband and I were looking for a church where we could impact the next generation through discipleship. She pulled out her personal business card and began to write the name, Gospel City Church, on the back of it. After doing a Google search to find your church, scoping out your website, joining you live online one Sunday, my husband and I felt led to visit in person. I must say we were impressed so far with the core values, the doctrinal statement, the agenda of your church. We have thoroughly enjoyed the teaching that we've heard thus far, and we sensed a genuine passion and love for Jesus, his word, building the community, investing in the younger generation, and discipleship at your church. It is for that reason that we have gladly signed up for your welcome home class. We're excited to meet you all and hopefully build a legacy with you that will matter for eternity. Bam, case closed. That's the way you're supposed to do it, right there. Somebody else reaching out, thus being very clear, front-loading everything that we're about. We're about this, not that. Here's our values. Here's our doctrinal statement. Here's what we believe. If that's what you're about or if, you, if you're courageous enough to get hit in the head with a two-by-four every week to hear the core values and, and the gospel, then yeah, this is the church for you. You see how we're investing. We're building the next generation. All of those decks things. That's the way to do it. That's the way to remember church. So what are we going to do in this series? This is what we're going to do. I've already told you. We're going to clarify the expectations of church leaders and church members. We're going to contrast words like casual versus committed, words like 
consumer versus covenant. We're going to either elevate the engagement of members, or if we don't, as leaders, we're going to have to lower our expectations of what we think the members of a church are capable of. Because I'm telling you, we're thinking we're capable of more than we're currently giving. And we get it. People have been hesitant to come back, and I'm afraid, and will I catch something, and, and what do I do when I get there, and I'm new, and I don't know all these new people. And there are hundreds of people that found us online, and they're here for the first time, and they're fertile. They bring their children when families show up around here, it's like there's seven of them and they're coming, marching them over to the children's check-in and like the people that used to check them in, they haven't come back to church yet. So it's creating a crisis if we can't remember the expectations of the church members. We're gonna learn the difference between actually viewing other people doing church How's it going? I see you in your pajamas and your coffee and your waffle sitting on a couch. Thank you for viewing other people doing church this morning. We'll see you next week. We've got a place for you. We, 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 we have engaged, we've invested so much in the opportunity to invite you to come and be a part of the membership of the church. And we've invested a lot in that. And we've had grace for people that haven't been able to get here or haven't felt safe in coming, but our posture is changing a little bit. We would love for you to now come and understand what it really means to be a member of a local church. We're going to learn how much Jesus loves his church. We're going to learn how church people are supposed to live when they are gathered. And we're gonna learn how church people are supposed to live when they are scattered. Because we're only here for a very small percentage of our time, this is not the only time we are the church. We are always the church. Sometimes we're gathered, sometimes we're scattered. We're gonna learn how to live in both circumstances. We're gonna learn how people are supposed to Give. We're going to learn how people are supposed to live in a post-Christian culture that hates everything we love as church people. And we're going to learn how to define the relationship. How many of you are married? Again, I ask you that already. Raise your hand. Now, just um, how many of you that are married dated more than three years before you? Keep those hands up. Do you see these people? Like have, more than four years? Five? Mark and Amanda, five years? Seven, Seven years? Yeah, well, okay, I'll, I'll get, cut you a little slack. But at some point, did Amanda have to have the conversation, Mark, we need to define the relationship. Are we just going to continue to date or are you ever going to put a ring on it? That's happening. This is a confession time in church right now, okay? So at some point, you have to define the relationship. There is a point at which there is a proposal, an acceptance, there is a date. You invite all of your friends, you spend far too much money, and people hear you exchange vows. Did this happen for you? This is called a marriage. And this is also called 
membership. We exchange vows. And so at the end of the series, we're going to renew our vows. We're going to define the relationship. Another thing we're going to do in this series is we are going to expose the myth of churchless Christianity. Because people will say, I, I love Jesus, but I think church is lame. I mean, I've been to the church. Have you seen how ugly the church is lately? I mean, they've got wrinkles and scars and they're just messy people. I love Jesus, but I hate church. Let's say that somebody came to church today. I've never met them. I walk up to them and I say, hi, I'm Trent. I'm the pastor. And they say, hi, I'm John. I'm a quarterback. Oh, you're a quarterback? Well, what team do you belong to? What team do you play for? And he says, oh, I don't have a team, but I'm a quarterback. I said, well, do, do you have a coach? Do you have an offensive coordinator? Do you have a strength and conditioning coach? I'm like, no, I don't, I don't have any coaches. I don't, I'm just like, but I'm a quarterback. Um, who catches your passes? Um, what's your completion percentage? He's like, I don't have any stats. Nobody catches my, do you have any, do you have an offensive line that blocks for you so you don't get crushed in the game? No, I don't need those people, but I'm a quarterback. Where do you play your games? Where do you, where, do you have a stadium? Like, do people watch? Do, do like people expect you to show up? No, I don't have any of that, but I'm a quarterback. Listen, if I come up to you and say I'm a quarterback, but I do not belong to a team, at some point you have the right to ask me, are you really a quarterback? Because if you are not on a football team, you need to stop calling yourself a football player. If I come up to you and say, are you a Christian? It's like, oh, I'm a Christian. And I say, what church do you belong to? Oh, I don't belong to a church. Well, do you, do you have a pastor? Do you have anybody that builds spiritual strength? Anybody that, that conditions you to walk with Jesus? No, I don't need that. Um, do you have anybody that prays for you? Like, because there's a lot of opposition out there. You get crushed out there. It's like, you know, nobody really knows, cares, or loves me that, you know, is a group of Christians, but I'm a Christian. At some point, I've got a right to ask you, are you really a Christian? Because I... You, you need to stop calling yourself a Christian until you can identify yourself with a group called a church where Christians are in covenant relationship with their Lord and in covenant relationship with other Christians. A lot of people, millions of people, will sit in a church this Sunday who will spend an eternity in hell because they think that they are a Christian because they are in church. And there are millions of people who think they are Christians who are not in a church this morning. The question is not whether or not you're a church member. The question is whether or not you are connected to Christ. And yet if you are connected to Christ, you are connected with every other person who is connected to Christ. That's called a church. Now, that was the introduction. That was the family chat. Let's start the sermon now. There's seven points. I have eight minutes. Here's the first point. Because we are family, there is some assembly required. 
Matthew chapter 16. I asked you to open your Bible to that verse earlier. This is what it says. I just want you to look at this one verse. Let me set the context. Jesus gathers his disciples and he says, who do people say that I am? And polarization immediately happens. Everybody has a different opinion of who Jesus is. Same is true today. Finally, he asked Peter, like, who do you say I am? Peter said, I'll tell you, you're the Christ. And so Jesus said, you're right, I tell you, you're Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's still true. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of COVID will not prevail against it. The gates of the CDC will not prevail against it. The gates of apathy will not prevail against it. Nothing's gonna prevail against this church. The church is unstoppable. It, that's the reason pastors can sleep at night because pastors are not the ones responsible for building the church. Jesus is responsible for building the church. But I want you to notice something. I just want you to circle this word in your Bible, okay? That word. Church, there in your Bible on that page that you're looking at right now, that's the first time in the Bible the word church is used. It's used another 108 times in the New Testament. But I want you to think about the context. What do you think of when you think of a church? Most people think of a place. They think of a building. When Jesus said this, he wasn't thinking of a place and he certainly didn't have a building in mind he didn't say I was going to build a building he didn't say he was going to build a place the word that's actually used here the word church in our English translations comes from a German word that means a sacred place when the translators 500 years ago when they first translated it into to English, somebody picked the word church because they were thinking of a place. And so now it's the vernacular. We call a church a church. But the Greek word that Matthew wrote, recording the words of Jesus, was a Greek word called ekklesia. Turn to your neighbor right now and say ekklesia. Let me tell you what that word means. The word ekklesia comes from two other Greek words. Ek means out, kaleo means called, called out. What Jesus said was, I will build my called out and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the called out. He was talking about a group who were called out an assembly, a congregation. As a matter of fact, William Tyndale, who translated the first English Bible, when he translated, every time he got to the word ecclesia in the New Testament, he used the word congregation. It's a better word. It's talking about a gathering, an assembly of people who are moving out of one assembly, the assembly of the population of the whole world, Jesus is calling out of that assembly a smaller assembly of people, calling them out, and then this is incredible. Do you know what Jesus does with those he's called out? He sends them back in. He calls them out, sends them back in. Jesus didn't come to build a building. Jesus came to start a movement, 
of people who are called out. You can't be like everybody else in the world. There's gonna be something distinct and different about you. We gather on Sunday and we get all the encouragement, we get all the, 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 the right perspective, we give our worship to God, we see each other, and then we're sent right back in. And if we can survive that next week, guess what happens? We call them out again and we send them back in. We gather so we can scatter. We gather so we can scatter. Listen, whenever you start to think about the church as a place, you stop the movement. Jesus intended the church to be a movement on mission. Call you out, send you in, call you out, send you in as a, as a body, as a, as a congregation, as a gathering, as an assembly. Laura, hand me that box if you would. When I was a kid, one of my happiest memories is my dad and I would build model cars together. I was reminded of this last week. Uh, my family uh, checked something off my bucket list, which was to actually go to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Can you believe I've lived in Indiana all these years? I've never been to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And so we went down, visited my son, Zach, and uh, I walked in. There's all these winning Indianapolis 500 race cars, the real ones. And some of them I remembered as a kid actually building with my father on the kitchen table. And they came, to, they, they came in these kits. And um, the, the thing is, is the instruction says that assembly is required. This, the manufacturer's name of this is the assembly. So I know that you were traumatized by the fact that I dropped all these parts. But I gotta tell you, this is the trauma that your pastor feels when the church refuses to be assembled. Does everybody understand that this is not a car? These are the pieces of a car. That's you. And that's not impressive at all until this part is glued to this part, maybe. And until someone with some effort and intelligence pieces them together, it just remains unassembled. Listen, the unassembled church is not the church. Jesus' idea is that he was building an assembly line of people who can move and operate and love. That's the best part right there. Uh, this just happens to be just a coincidence. It's a red Mustang. Just, it was a random selection. Not that I would ever want to own something like this um, that was 25 times bigger. But anyway, that, you get my point here is that you are part of something that has to be put together. And no individual piece is accomplishing what it was intended to accomplish without it being glued and cemented to another part. Here's the next thing we need to learn. Because we are adopted, we have a heavenly father. I want you to notice all of the language related to family in the scripture. We, we, Jesus referred to God as his father. And then we learn in Romans chapter eight that his father is our father. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
Jesus wants us to understand our relationship with God. Once you abide in Christ, once you are in relationship with Christ, God is not some distant force. He is like a personal father. And then get this, we know Jesus is the son of God, if you understand the Trinity, which nobody understands the Trinity, but we know that Jesus is the son of God. If we're adopted into God's family, that makes Jesus what? Our brother. That's the personal, intimate relationship that we're to have as sons and daughters in the family. And then we also understand that because we are spiritual children, we must learn and listen. Because we are spiritual children, we must listen and learn. Throughout the New Testament, um, we see these images of, of new believers being babes in Christ, babies in Christ, because we're born again. We're just like little children, and we need to grow and learn just like a little child. Notice this verse in the book of Hebrews. By this time, you ought to be teachers, but you still need somebody to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. By the way, you've heard, if you've been paying attention, we're gonna ask you for 11 weeks of your life in the fall to do what? To learn the basic principles of the oracles of God. That's what those doctrine classes are all about. It's not just a lecture, it's not just coming. We're gonna be some reading, there's gonna be some writing, there's gonna be some discussion. We're going to try to create teachers. Not, not that you get a class, but that you can sit down with your family and teach them the basic principles of the oracles of God. That's a responsibility of the church. We're taking that seriously. And then he says, you need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Nothing wrong with being a child. Nothing wrong with sucking on a bottle of milk. But if you are a 40-year-old man and you are still sucking on a bottle of spiritual milk, you have developmental issues. And we need to develop some spiritual maturities through some deep doctrine that we feed on as children. Do you hunger for the principles, the oracles of the word of God? Then we're gonna do our best to feed you because number four, we're also spiritual mothers and fathers. Because we are spiritual mothers and fathers, we should feed and lead. First Thessalonians chapter uh, two, the Apostle Paul presents the leadership of the church like a mother and a father. Notice what he says. We were gentle among you, like nursing mothers taking care of her own children. Some of you haven't been in churches like this. That's some of you watching online. The reason you don't go to church anymore is because you, you didn't experience gentleness when you went to church. You didn't have somebody protecting and nurturing and caring for you in a warm, personal, intimate relationship, or you never understood that that's what church is supposed to be like. But that's what you're supposed to do. Now, listen, I want you to understand something. A mother cannot nurse a child virtually. You can't do this through a screen. Do you notice the close attachment, physical proximity is necessary in order for this to happen? We need that. And we need some of you to be mothers in the church. We need some of you to be grandmothers in the church. It always amazes me that we do not have more grandmothers serving to try to disciple children on Sunday morning. 
You say, my season of life is over. No, it's not. Like a nursing mother, will you come and share what you have with the next generation? Not only mothers, but then he goes on and talks about fathers. He says, like a father. Notice the difference here. Like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you, we encouraged you, and we charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Do you see how the tone changes a little bit? Mothers, warm, gentle embrace. It's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Fathers, what do fathers do? Get your act together. You need to stop sinning. That's my favorite Bible verse. Did, did you read that in 1 Corinthians this week? Stop sinning. That's an exhortation. Each one of you. And be encouraged. Come on, you can do it. You don't ever have to sin again. And we charged you. You can do it. That's the role of spiritual fathers. There's an accountability. There's a charge. There's, there's a call to step up and be who God made you to be. And then number five, because we have spiritual brothers and sisters, we must love and unite. So how many of you reading through the New Testament in 100 days? How you doing? You, you did, so this week you read the book of 1 Corinthians. Did you notice how jacked up the church is in in Corinth, right? I mean, they're, they've, they're totally polarized. They have their favorite preachers. They're arguing with one another. They're suing one another and they have dysfunctional family and they are sexually immoral. And Paul writes to them and says, knock it off. And the word he uses to appeal to them is brothers. 37 times in the book of 1 Corinthians, he appeals to their brotherhood. He says, I appeal to you brothers by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the, in, in the, in the same mind and in the same judgment. Every pastor I know has watched his church polarize and people, it's, we've had people, I've gotten emails in the last 18 months, I'm leaving your church because, and they will accuse me of being too progressive. Same week, another email, I'm leaving your church because, and they will identify that we're too conservative for them. And it's because of this polarization that we've had. We have got to be able to disagree as brothers about non-essential things and yet have the same mind about core doctrines and the same judgment about core truth. The problem is, is we too often fill our ears full of all the junk that's going out there in that other assembly, in that other congregation, that world, and we don't we don't hear Jesus' voice calling us out of all that to unite around the things that are eternal and spiritual and clear in the revealed, self-disclosed word of God. And if we don't do that, we will splinter as a church. And if the only people you're ever going to gather with are people that agree with you, you and the three other people that agree with you are gonna make a really small church. So we have to be able to disagree without being disagreeable. Number six, because we are the bride of Christ, we are nourished 
and cherished. One of the most beautiful analogies of church in the scripture is the bride of Christ. You are someone that Jesus didn't just call out of the world. You are someone as a collective body, people that Jesus has actually married. He has given his life for you. He's laid his life down for you. Notice in Revelation chapter 19, it says this, let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. Why? Why does all this worship go to him? For the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. This is us, collective, gathered, assembled, the bride of Christ. And by the way, we were not attractive in any way. And Jesus pursued us. We resisted him. We, we, we flirted with other lovers. We cheated on him. And yet his faithfulness continued to pursue us and brought us into covenant love relationship. And one day there will be a consummation of this marriage between Jesus and his bride. It ought to make you want to fall down in worship that Jesus would love you that way. In Ephesians chapter five, there's an exhortation there to husbands and what their responsibility is to their wives. Guys, take note. Um, Jesus said, here's your job, love your wife. How? In the same way Jesus loved his church. How'd you do this week? You know what that means? Bleed out. Lay your life down. And then he goes on to tell us how we're to actually to daily do that. Notice what he says. He says, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Ladies, you know this is true of your husband, right? He doesn't hate his body. Like he flexes and he pampers it and he feeds it and all that stuff. See, everybody nourishes and cherishes their own body. Jesus says, if you would nourish and cherish your spouse the way that you're already nourishing and cherishing your body, you'd come real close to loving your wife the way Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Remember how Christ loved you and pursued you and our response back to him is commitment and surrender and follow. That's what we do in the church as well. And then finally, number seven, because we become family through spiritual birth, we must be born again. So I don't know what your experience is with church. Some of you may have gone to church nine months before you were born. You may have come to church drug your parents drug you to church. You may have been institutionalized, catechized, baptized, galvanized, I don't know, whatever. But church may be just be part of your natural rhythm. And that could be very dangerous if there's never truly been a heart change. We're all born into this world outside of the church. Jesus calls us out and what he says is you must be born again. There's got to be new life on the inside. It doesn't matter how many hours you put your body in a church on a Sunday. The question is, 
does Jesus reside in your heart every day of the week? Have you ever repented of sin, placed your faith in Christ so that you are changed from the inside out? Is that true of you? The question is not your relationship with the church. The question is what's your relationship with the head of the church? And if you have a right relationship with the head of the church, then you as a member of the body can be united to the church. I want you to stand with me right now and bow your heads, close your eyes. I want to call you for the next six weeks to prioritize your relationship to Christ and His church. And before we do any of that, can I ask you to prioritize your relationship with Christ, the head of the church? If you've never come to Christ, if you've never heard Him call you out of the world, then listen to his voice this morning as he appeals to your heart. Respond in repentance and faith. For most of us, the things that we would need to repent of is just simply prioritizing lesser things so that our relationship to Christ and his church takes a back seat. There's such a need for people to come, to serve, to worship, to lead, to teach, to disciple, to counsel, to give, to go. And yet so many of us are on the outside and many of us are new and so you're just getting to know this place. Maybe your first act of obedience would be to come to the membership class next Sunday night at six, at five o'clock. For some of you to engage the church would mean you would be here tonight at six o'clock to pray so that we can pray together as one body. Lord, thank you for what you're doing, building your church. We know it's true. And so often we're disappointed with what we see. And yet, God, we are so grateful for the health and the life and the strength and the growth that we see taking place here. Lord, we want to humble ourselves and open our hearts and hands to you and say whatever you want us to do or be, wherever you want us to go, whatever you want us to say, we're available. We're listening. Thank you that by your spirit, you're making us come alive. Give us courage to be fearless in the face of the risks, in face of the inadequacy that we fear to step into a leadership role. We commit ourselves to you. Speak, Lord, in the coming weeks. Strengthen your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.